Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Devon Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Chuck. I'm here with fabulous author, Rita Batar. Welcome. And I hope Hi. I didn't butcher that too badly. Yeah, my first name is Rana. Right. Now, see, I'm going to butcher something in every episode, I swear. <laughs> but, okay, you're an author. So what led you into writing before we get into your book? Yeah, so, so yeah, I wrote when I was, uh, started writing when I was very young. I was eight years old. So uh, I don't think I got into writing. I think kind of writing got into me. Uh, <laughs> I, it's just, uh, it's my way of understanding the world around me. That's um, uh, my interpretation of everything around me. I find myself being able to do that best with writing. That is wonderful. So what is the title of your book and what is it about? Um, my book title is The Long Tale of Tears and Smiles. And it's about uh, my patient stories and uh, intertwined with my patient stories are the, my stories, my journey into getting, being an oncologist and uh, growing, growing up in Syria and coming to the United States. Okay, so you have a lot of things going on there. One, you're a doctor, you're an oncologist, you just said. You're coming to the United States, where are you coming from? Uh, I came from Syria. I was born in Damascus, Syria. Damascus is the capital of Syria. So, welcome to America. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't get to say that very often on the show. But then you have your journey to become a doctor. So, what was that and why did you pick oncology? Well, I was interested in being a doctor probably as, uh, as long as I was interested in being a writer. So that was a long time ago. I decided to be a, um, a doctor. My, uh, my dad had a book in the attic whose one of his friends had given it to him. It was a thesis about um, a common illness, how to take care of them at home. And uh, I would go and read in that book. It had all this pop-up photos where, you know, you pull out the small intestine and find the abdominal cavity and what's behind it. So I was fascinated by like how the body works and, um, and how to fix it. Um, so that's that my interest in being a doctor started a long time ago. Um, and um, oncology attracted me because of the um, philosophical part of it in addition to the physical challenge of it. It, it kind of satisfied my curiosity for science at the same time, my curiosity of uh, human nature and, and the, the major decisions we face in facing life and death and, um, and the way you interact with the patient and you become close to the family 
So that part attracted me most about uh, being an oncologist. I wanted to capture both. See, going through as family members have had cancers different from different parts of the body, it goes to, okay, where's your mindset? Where's the mindset of the patient? Where's the mindset of the family? Because 20 years ago, if you had cancer, it was pretty much, there's no hope versus now we have a lot of hope depending on where it is and where you catch it and when you catch it, what stage it is and where it's at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think things advancing in oncology in a, in a very uh, impressive way. Um, still, the bottom line is that you have serious illness and that's uh, very challenging, not only for patients, but for their families and their caretakers. Um, things change and people are more open about talking about their, not only their physical problems, but also the emotional and social issues that comes with it. Uh, so yeah, we made the headways in, in caring for oncology, not only on a science level, but also on a social, Human correct, <laughs> level. Because it's not just healing the body, you have to heal the mind while you're healing the body. You can absolutely. I'm on medicine all day long, but unless you're healing the mind, their mind's never going to heal to the effect that their body is. Right. And, and not only healing the mind, also uh, sharing the struggles that mm-hmm. patients go through. It's, uh, it's a tremendous pressure on them, the decisions that they have to make with their families. Um, I think one of the most important parts of being an oncologist is to be able to guide them through these these difficult times um, and listen to to what they go through and try to understand it and and take time mostly taking time in in understanding what that means to to have oncology to have cancer and being at an oncologist's office it's not only coming in and doing the blood work and going for treatment it's a whole aspect around it which comes to be actually sometimes more important than the treatment itself to be heard and, and understood and you know understand what the family goes through through the difficult time. Exactly. It's not just one little thing that you can treat. You have to treat everything. And you kudos to you because you have a big undertaking. Any doctor that deals in oncology has more than just one patient. It's not just the patient they're treating, but also the family dynamics around that patient. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And as I said, that can be more important than just providing care, meaning just prescribing the medications. It's just getting into what's their status at home, how, who takes care of them, what happened when they get sick and, and all of that. It, it goes beyond just you know, delivering medicine to these patients. And, and again, that, that is the part that I love most about being an oncologist. So you have this book out. Are you writing a second book to companion it? Uh, no, not in, a, not in the same uh, subject of oncology, no. No, not now, <laughs> maybe later. Maybe later. Okay, so it's no in the oncology, but is there a yes in something else that you're working on? Uh, yeah, just as uh, preliminary working, I'm working on a, on a kind of novella 
called God Only Forget the Mighty, and it's still in a very, very early stages. But it's, uh, it has nothing to do with, with oncology. Uh, well, sometimes it's, it's best sometimes just to step back from your day job and write for getting your mind out there. It's just, I need to write, relax. As an author, I know this very well just to write something and it has nothing to do with anything else you do you work on that's true although it's always in the background you know that where you how you grow with, with mm-hmm. your patients always affects the way you think about other things not related to oncology but it also affects how you look at uh, life and relationships and priorities so it has this undercurrent of affecting everything you do <laughs> it does everything Everything we do as humans affects everything else we do around us. So it doesn't matter if you're in the medical field and you're writing about something that may or may not be related to the medical field. It's still how you're interacting with the people around you. Absolutely. (laughs) So you said it's in the early stages. So how long, we'll go back to the first book. How long did it take Mm -hmm. to write the first book? Oh, that that took time because it came in stages. I wasn't, I didn't uh, sit down and said, I'm going to write a book. You know, I uh, started writing my patient stories initially just for me to to understand uh, their lives and, and my role in it. Um, and then uh, I just wrote it on like loose sheets and loose papers. I didn't, I didn't intend to publish or write a book. Um, and then as I wrote more, uh, I realized how these patients' courage uh, had touched me and changed my life and uh, how the gravity of the decisions they made um, altered the way I made my decisions and how I set my priority and how being part of their agony uh, shifted my focus. Uh, so I, I said, you know, these stories should not just stay in the exam rooms. It shouldn't just stay, die within these four walls. I wanted to get them out there. And I wanted other people to, uh, to, to get out of their cocoon of their individual focuses and start thinking, what if this happened to me? Uh, what would I do? How would I think? How how would I change the way I look at things and, and the world around me and the people around me? How do I set my priorities? Um, I wanted I wanted other people to be touched uh, and kind of start getting a fresh perspective on their lives, just like I was touched by that. So it wasn't planned to write a book. I it just came in in stages, so it took. It took some time. Um, so uh, it took, I started writing when I was in training. Um, and uh, I want to say probably about seven years or so, just in, in stages, just in stages. That's a long time to write one book. <laughs> but right, right, right. Time, you didn't have the mindset of I'm going to write it. I'm just writing it down on, you know, eventually going to do something with it. I just don't know where to do something with it. So, right. Well, it- I wrote it for, for me initially, mm-hmm. the stories. I wanted to keep remembering my patients, the ones that I, 
I, you know, I was touched by their stories and changed me somehow. And, um, and I didn't think about publishing until later. Uh, I put them together and started thinking about publishing these books, these stories. See, that's the thing. This is how book babies come to be. Sometimes it's a notebook filled with little things we write, jot down, and it takes years, decades even, to get it where we're, okay, I might want to publish this now. Or we have the mindset of an author that goes, I'm writing a book and I want it done in 30 days. Right. Well, 30 days is optimistic. <laughs> well, if you, okay. You write more non-fictional, so it probably wouldn't be the best interest of you to do nano, but for a fiction, fiction author, author in October, there's nano writing, October, November, and you write a book or at least a good draft of a book in 30 days. Oh, yeah, that's good. I mean, I think I write poetry too. Poetry is easy to write fast because it's pretty condensed. I don't have a problem writing poetry, you know, in a short period of time. So are you but, writing poetry? Are you getting that published? Yeah, I have a book of uh, poetry published already. It's called The Local Thread. And I have one coming out next week, next year uh, called Hold Your Breath. Awesome. And I'm now, working on a third one. <laughs> See, you're a serial author. This is why we go into this, because you're not just writing one thing. You're writing a bunch of things that we have to draw out to connect with you. So... With all these books coming out, who's your publisher? Uh, the uh, Global Collective Publishers uh, published The Long Tale of Tears. Uh, uh, a Loaf of Bread was published by Unsolicited Press, and they're publishing my, my next book. So, see? The one that's coming out in March. See, okay, this is something I want to touch base on. Not all authors have all their books under one publisher. We go to different publishers for different book babies. Uh, yeah. So what happened uh, with the first book I published, uh, the uh, a loaf of bread, I was published to um, solicited press, and then I wrote that "Hold Your Breath," which was uh, uh, was about the pandemic, about my experience with mm -hmm. the pandemic with COVID, and um, and then I said, you know what? I instead of just sending this book everywhere, like just to Asians and things. Let me just see it. Let me send it to unsolicited press. They they know my writing and I had I dealt with them. And I did it. And that was like one time, you know, so <laughs> you know how you when you when you publish when you write a book and when I publish you have to contact agents and publishers and wait for them to come. So they were my first choice and it just happened. That is excellent. This is what we do, though. You have, okay, author mindset. You have your book, baby, and manuscript. What do you do with it after you have this manuscript and you have it all nice and pretty? Who do you send it to? This is a question that a lot of authors don't think about when they get done writing. Yeah, which is actually the most difficult part. I mean, you finish writing and then you start figuring out who to send it to and and why you have to research, you know, the publishers and what's their interest and the agents and what their interest and pick what suits your, your subject. 
that is the, the difficult part. It is a difficult part for any, and then you have to go to the mindset is one yes out of a hundred no's. You have to get to that all through the no's to get to that one yes. It's not a you're going to get picked up on the first publisher you submit to. It does happen, but not always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, you get a lot of rejections, and you have to. I mean, you develop thick skin after after a while. You just have to keep doing it. It's, just, uh, it's a passion. And because you're writing in different genres, you have your poetry. And the one about COVID, you're going to have a different perspective because you're a doctor than someone that doesn't work in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everything that you're doing is linked, but at the same time, you're sending out messages of hope and healing. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think that applies to everything you do. Writing, whatever you write, is, a, is an action of healing. That you, either you heal yourself or you start with yourself and you try to send a message to other people. Uh, it's, writing itself is healing. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever that it's a nice story, happy story, or, or, or bad story, because you just you relate to what happened to the other people you're, you're reading about and just knowing that there are other people out there that might have the same issues you had or face the same challenges that itself is healing mm-hmm. uh, just the, the knowing that you're not alone I think that's the healing it, it is. I hear that a lot, especially when I talk to someone that's overcome a medical issue. It's connecting with someone that had a similar medical issue and learning to heal from their strength because you're not alone no more. It, the biggest uh-huh. thing is when you go through a medical condition is I'm completely alone and isolated. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. And, you know, I, when I published the long tail, I was concerned that uh, it might be kind of a sad book because we talked about cancer and dying. And to my surprise, the feedback I got was that actually it was a book of hope to a lot of people to inspire them to for perseverance and, and tolerance and, and different interpretation on what dying might mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it was sad, but it was hopeful. So they're not separate. And that surprised me that the people felt that the book was uplifting, actually. Um, and I, and that's, that's the healing. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not just, okay, there's a sad book, someone's passing away. It's how do they look at their time on this earth? What are they reflecting on? What are they preparing for, for after they're no longer physically here? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... I- I found I learned from my patients that um, losing control could be freeing. You know, like you, when you lose control over what you think is going to happen in your life, uh, what should happen in your life, um, you re, you redirect your your focus on the moment, on the now, mm-hmm. um, and that's freeing. Uh, I think when you when you when you lose that illusion of knowing the future or thinking you know the future you focus on the now and you make that moment matter more um not 
not in a like a casual way like you know life is short let's just go watch movies it's it's uh, uh, making the room as precious making it heavy with meaning that um, when he drowns it leaves ripples behind it um, and I learned that from my patients because not you know losing the losing the control of what you can do to a certain extent uh, no one chooses cancer you, you don't have control over it and your life changed dramatically uh, that changed their focus to to the now, to the moment. Um, and that, you might not expect it. It's upsetting, it's frustrating, but it actually has a little bit of pleasure in it. It has, it has this freedom of just let's, let's live today and know the moment now. We all live for tomorrow. We all, we're sitting here today and thinking, what's gonna happen tomorrow? And you lose the, the, the feeling of the, of the now of who I am now. It, it does. Um, and, Having medical issues back in 2011 and not knowing if I was going to see 2012, it's a lot more freeing to, okay, I'm here today. What can I do today in case I'm not here tomorrow, but how can I make today the best day I've ever had? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think also COVID kind of solidified that too, mm-hmm. because you know, there's no plan. You don't, you can't plan, and no plan for the future. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, so you just, you just, you know, you, you go day by day. And um, again, it might seem upsetting and frustrating, but it, it has, it's actually freeing. You're, you're free from the terror of knowing the possible future. It's like Let's just live the moment. And then you find that you really actually forgot about that moment. You forgot how to look at it. You, you forgot to look inside. Um, and, and that also I learned from my patients. Cancer patients go through that every day. And I think that's part of why the book ended up being hopeful and, and uplifting. Uh, it's, um, it's freeing of, 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 you know, the, plan for 10 years or 20 years it's just now what matters now to me to my family to the people I love right now that right this minute mm-hmm. uh, it has to matter now everything we do doesn't matter what it is you do in life you have to do it for now you can't plan for tomorrow because tomorrow is not promise if you take away that tomorrow is going to be here regardless if I will open my eyes or not you take you free yourself from being to be happy just in the moment it doesn't matter if you're in a dead-end job you're still happy because you're grateful for being here mm-hmm. yeah i i think you you do both you 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 live the moment um and and hope that the future like you try to build up the future mm-hmm. but not let it terrorize you by by just like committing every single thing to it and forgetting what you have now. It, it's easy in being a human, it's very easy to forget to live for today. It's very easy to be grateful just to be alive. How many people out there go day to day and they were miserable because they're not even grateful that they're alive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can learn so much from our cancer patients because they live day to day, just grateful for being here today. Right. And you learn from them all the, uh, to, to kind of look at your, at your life and what you have in a different perspective, being just grateful and happy that you don't have to make these major decisions of life and death every day. They do it every day and we don't. So I think this is listening to other people, illnesses and suffering and, and not only like trying to put yourself in their shoes, it gives you a fresh perspective on your life and your health and, and what all what's around you means. Uh, and gives you perspective to into your own challenges too. I mean, it's not everything is a big deal. You know, you, mm-hmm. you just look at that and say, okay, uh, this happened today, but look, this 45 years woman has two years to live. So what am I complaining about? Mm-hmm. So that's how you start gaining fresh perspective on what's important and what's not so important. That is very true. We have to sometimes put ourselves in other people's positions to understand our own lives. We have to understand not everything is that mountain we perceive. Sometimes it's just a little anthill that we have to get over. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We are almost out of time. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you and all your fabulous works? Uh, website, uh, ranadita.com. That's R-A-N-A-B-I-T-A-R.com. I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing about your book and your poetry and everything else you're working on. Thank you for having me. And for all of our listeners and our viewers, happy reading. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.